0: To the Distro One Podcast, Episode
1: Four. Welcome. All right, Episode Four, Distro One Podcast. Here we go. This is uh, for the first uh, full-length episode in, in a little bit, a little bit of time here. In
0: quite a while, probably I would say a year.
1: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, guys.
0: Punctuality is not our
1: well, but strong it's suit. quality over quantity, I guess you could say. At least that's what we're telling ourselves here, but.
0: So, today we're talking Time Lords.
1: Time Lords, those little, crazy Gallifreans. Little Doctor Who. Yeah, talking about the the, she, the series in the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest running science fiction program in the world. And we're talking, of course, like we said, Doctor Who.
0: Well, and one of the uh, interesting things about Doctor Who that uh, a lot of people probably don't know is that uh, there's a lot of missing episodes out there, actually. Um in the first six seasons, I think uh, of the there was two hundred and fifty three episodes. Yeah, Something like that. and uh, there were hundred and six of them that were missing, uh, and they've been slowly trying to uh, track them down and recreate or recreate them where they know that they're they're gone forever. Yeah, uh, the BBC was going through and cleaning out a bunch of their old storage back in the back in the sixties and seventies to make room for new programming. And so they were just basically tossing these things out and... <laughs>
1: yeah, re-recording re- over like the, uh, the audio tracks and just kind of reusing stuff. Just, you know, it's
0: mind-boggling that they did it, but... And, and like we were talking earlier, there there actually be um, some of those mini-series uh, that they would do where they would have, they would call them serials, I guess, where they would have uh, two, three, sometimes four episodes together. Uh, to kind of create a mini-series. And some of those, you'll you'll notice that, like, you'll find two old episodes that are, you know, that are still complete, and then they'll have digitally re- um, created, like, with animation or something, the other episodes to fill in the blanks.
1: Yeah, I, I remember watching it. It was back from the, the 60s. Uh, the Patrick, Patrick Troughton years, the second Doctor. I remember watching a four-part serial where episodes one and four, they had the soundtrack... No, but no film. So they actually had a, an animated version of of those episodes based off the original script, but episodes two and three were fine.
0: So, yeah. So uh, here's a question that I would like to pose out there for everyone. Who's your favorite doctor? Um, you can hit us up at the Google Voice line, uh,
1: 412-204-7180. Yeah, and if uh, you uh, leave, a, leave a message, hopefully we can probably get you on an upcoming episode.
0: And, uh, I mean, and while we're talking about favorite doctors, uh, Franz, let's talk about your favorite well, doctors. I think, I think I may have to split
1: it up. I think with the relaunch of the series in 2005, it's going to be cliche, but I love David Tennant. I thought he was... A, he, his portrayal of the doctor was one of the best that I've seen throughout the whole 11 actors that have done it. I thought he had a nice, a nice portrayal. He had that Little bit of darkness to him, but he had that kind of fun-loving, kind of eccentric vibe to him. And if you're going back to the classics, you want to say Tom Baker. I mean, you really want to say, you know, the scarf, you know, as people say. But, I mean, I liked Patrick Troughton, the second Doctor. But I also, I had to give out an honorable mention to Peter Davidson, which was the fifth Doctor, who took... Uh, who uh, took up the mantle after Tom Baker's? Uh, I guess still record seven year portrayal of the doctor. That was kind of a big event when Tom Baker left.
0: So well, if we're breaking it up between uh, old series and new series, uh, new series, I'm uh, I'm all about Christopher Eccleston. I think that yeah. uh, he did a great job of revitalizing the role. Um, making it exciting for the, for viewers to like come back into um, making it so that it wasn't too dorky. Uh, and I say that in the, the best possible mm-hmm. way of uh, being a uh, dork myself. Um, I think he just had, he had this really um, comedic energy, this childlike energy that he brought to that role. And it was very fun to just watch him uh, in these adventures uh, but if we're gonna, if we're gonna go throwback, then, uh, I am totally a Tom Baker fan, uh, fond childhood memories of, uh, my, I, I live next door to my uncles, so, uh, and I wasn't allowed to stay up late enough to watch Doctor Who, because it was on, uh, after my bedtime, so after my parents would go to sleep, I would sneak down to my, and visit with my uncles, and we would watch, uh, we would watch Doctor Who in the, you know, at night, sometimes it would come on at, like, 11.30 or midnight or whatever, um, on what was it? PBS. Yeah, yeah, PBS. Yeah, that's right. That and a fun fun fact about
1: uh, Tom Baker and his his infamous scarf. I guess the story goes. I'm not sure if people are aware there. The I guess it's the seamstress, the woman was working for the costume department of the BBC, and someone got her a bunch of yarn to pretty much say, "Well, here, make like, make a scarf for," and she didn't use some of it she used all of it and so therefore that's where it became the 16 foot i think scarf that tom baker was
0: more than willing to to wear and he loved it from what i, from what I remember yeah. of the story is like i guess they just brought her like this garbage bag of yarn and like hey we need a scarf here's a bunch of yarn uh <laughs> and she rolled she went with it and tom baker he was like ah, i love it yeah 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 he
1: didn't yeah he thought it was great so he just decided to wear it you could even You'd even see in those classic series where he has it draped around his neck like twice, and it was still hitting the floor.
0: And he's a tall dude. Yeah, he, he's, he's no, no he's short big guy. Eye.
1: Yeah. So that little little fun fact about the, the Tom Baker's classic scarf. Um, but uh, with the doctors, who's who would you say would
0: be your favorite companion?
1: Oh, the companions. Yes, uh, being being a science fiction freak, really loving that. Genre. I have to I have to say K I'd thought was, I thought he was... I thought I thought he was, like, well, it, or well, he, he's got... He had a male voice. He he, was just playing off of Tom Baker was great, because he was such that, that kind of almost snarky kind of just... He didn't put up with any of his crap. It was like, if... As much as, like, a robot dog Kuba. And he had just the laser nose, and it was just... He was a good companion. Of course... But of course big I'm a, I was a big Sarah Jane yeah. fan you have to give it up to Sarah Jane and, and another fun fact a lot of fans tie canine and Sarah Jane together because you know canine and company and some of the spin-off stuff and all that they were never companions for the doctor at the same time I did not know that yeah they were never together so yeah people like little uh, little fun factor yeah the companion for me I'd say canine Sarah Jane and the remake I just really like this guy's backstory. I like Captain Jack. Oh, yeah. I thought he was, I mean, no, nothing against Rose or Martha or Donna, but I just thought Captain Jack, that whole born in the future, raised in the past, I'm trying. I'm not giving too many spoilers away, what happened with, with Rose and having Rose utilizing the power of the Vortex, bringing him back forever and how he can't die. And so he just was just a really great character. I think John Behrman. Really did a good job of that role. I guess still, still doing yeah, being the Torchwood spinoff. Yeah, so.
0: they uh, spun that off the Torchwood, which I enjoy watching uh, almost as much as uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah,
1: the first, the first couple seasons, some of the episodes were a little, uh, little meh. But I mean, they, when they
0: did that, Children of Earth, that did. was Children of Earth was great. That was fantastic. And the new one, Miracle Day, is is really good. Um, there's a couple points in there, I mean, a couple uh periods where I feel like they're uh, the the plot is being forced. But for the most part, it's really well done. Yeah, I
1: think I think if they would have taken it from a ten part story and made it, and condensed it to like a five or six part. I think that may, may have
0: helped. And that may have been why uh, uh, Children of Earth was so good, because it was a very concise story. Yeah,
1: um, quick, quick to the point. Just hours, an hour long.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so they. I think they were like fifty three minutes. It's like the, the total runtime of right. those.
1: Yeah, but yeah. Children of birth is really good.
0: So yeah, little, little getting a little, little off topic, but it's but yeah, still, a little well, little still on up. top. Yeah, on still, topic. Uh,
1: yeah, still. Uh, so, uh,
0: as far as my favorite companion, uh, I'm I was a huge Rose fan. Yeah, you have to give it up. Uh, and it, just because she coupled so well with Christopher Eccleston and that that sh- childlike energy that he had, and right. just uh, the way the, I don't know the way their synergy worked, uh, I was a big fan uh, of her. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, well, what about Karen Gillum? You know, uh, she's uh, doing a great job in this yeah. role, but I actually like Rory's part better.
1: He seems more, in a, he almost seems more likable Yeah. than, than, uh, than Amy, for some reason. He just seems kind of, I mean, his personality just seems... I don't
0: know. It's more. So know. Arthur Darville was
1: that... Arthur, yeah, Arthur Darville, the actor plays Rory. Yeah, he just... he's a,
0: he's he's doing a, he does a great job with with that role, and he is. I, I agree. He's he's more likable. Um, I mean, you got to like the spunky aspect of her character. Yeah, I but, mean, you, you can't. Yeah, but like he's so. Uh, I, I don't know. He's really into like the morality of the humankind, and like he's just. I mean, almost at a point where he's. Over the top, unbelievable is like, you know, his morality.
1: Yeah, yeah, that good guy. Just, just, and just.
0: Good at heart.
1: Yes, and just for the, for the full, for the, getting a lot of brownie points for waiting outside the, uh, the Pandorica for 2,000 years
0: waiting for Amy. He's, uh, he's loyal to say the least. So, yeah, so we, uh. Yeah. So, so that's the companion aspect, I would say. Um, Probably ought to do a little shout out right now to uh to maybe our our artist of the yeah, month. Yeah, our
1: art, every every show. This show one we do a little featured artist of the month, kind of a local Pittsburgh artist that we uh, that we enjoy his is his or her artwork tonight uh, today we're uh, gonna throw a shout out to Byron Winton, the artist and painter who was a big part of the uh, comic book scene art scene. Here in Pittsburgh, he's a wonderful painter. He does a lot. Of, he does everything. He's he's done some comic work, some sequential comic work. He's done some uh, book covers. It's the subject. The subject matter. I mean, it's a little dark. There's a lot of monsters. There's a lot of he must be a big Star Wars fan. A lot of Star Wars paintings. Looks like um, there's
0: some, some racy stuff. Uh, a little well. bit. A
1: little bit of racy. Little racy. I mean, he likes his. He likes his attractive women, and. Uh, so yeah, wonderful painter. I know he's had he's uh had a had a show at Zombo Gallery in Lawrenceville a few years back, which I got to saw, see a lot of his work. A great guy. Uh you can check out all of his all of his stuff at ByronWinton.com. That's B-Y-R-O-N. W-I-N-T-O-N dot com. You can also tr- check him out at Byronwinton.blogspot.com. That'll be uh posting a lot of his like, like an art blog talking about the process references maybe some appearance inspiration, inspiration inspirational stuff like his, his painting process and also possibly his, his upcoming con appearances as well so Byron keep up the great work uh, hopefully we'll get to see hopefully he'll have some new stuff coming out and uh, we'll keep you posted on some stuff so Byron is Byron Witten
0: the painter artist
1: is the artist of the month
0: so do us a favor and check him out because he's pretty awesome
1: yeah. yeah again byronwitten.com and then there's links to all his social media sites facebook twitter what have you so yeah definitely check them out keep up the great work Byron.
0: all right well back to our doctor who discussion one of the things that i think they've done very very well with uh with doctor who is they've made the episodes for the most part unless it's like a, a unless it's like a uh you know they do uh A two-parter, or they want to create some sense of cliffhanger. They leave you know to leave you hanging. Like they're they're just kind of bite-sized. Like they're all encompassed. It's you get a full story from beginning to end every time you watch an episode. And I think that I think that fits well um, with the busy lifestyle that a lot of people have today. Yeah, like I like. Great stories, but I don't have a lot of time to sit and watch television. Right. So for me to be able to sit down and in forty-three to fifty minutes get an entire story that uh, that doesn't feel forced, that that, that flows really well, um, hits all of the hits all the po- uh, plot points, and has good character development for me, I think it's a big win, and I think that that's why it's becoming so popular. I think it's a big win all around.
1: Yeah, I think I think I've read somewhere I don't know if it was Doctor Who magazine or what. I think this this season. Uh, I may be wrong but this season I think they're trying to get more of a done in one just big story instead of having the two parters cuz you at least get like one two parter a season once they restarted from like in the 2005 relaunch I think but now I think this season's going to be more single adventure episodes with the overarching story arc with the season Yeah, uh, and they've been uh, they've been doing I think pretty
0: well with that so far
1: so we and the speaking of doctor the new season is upon us. We are three three episodes in. How are you? How are you liking this new season?
0: Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give any spoilers since it is really just three episodes in. But I will say this: I I am enjoying um I'm enjoying it very well. Uh, I feel like they've given Amy an even darker sort of side. Like yeah. she seems a little bit more aggressive, even than in the, uh, than in the past, and um, so I'm looking forward to see where they go with that. Right. And I feel like they might be ready to transition uh, companions. Yeah, uh, right. it, it feels it's it's got that feel to it. Not mm-hmm. not that it'd be too much of a spoiler. They yeah. haven't haven't done anything or anything. It just feels that way.
1: Yeah, and they're kind of establishing, at least to me. In the new series, is like, you know, you know, Rory and Amy, you know, they're you know, living, living in England, having lives. You know, Rory's a nurse. Not really sure what Amy's doing right now, but I mean, with Rory working at the hospital, they kind of have two different lives where they have their normal, you know, young married couple life. And then whenever the TARDIS shows up, they, you know, they're jumping in the blue box and they're going off and having adventures. They have like the doctor life. So I think they're kind of examining... How do you balance like both lives?
0: So, at least to me, that's what they're what they're trying to do. Yeah, and um, it just seem and like their their parts seem to be I don't know maybe written in smaller in some instances where in the past they had, had bigger roles, right. and I think they're giving like the doctor, they started at the end of last season to give him a sense of like independence or more like solidarity. I guess is the word I was looking for. Um, so I think they're I think they're going to play off that uh, quite a bit here in this uh, in this season seven part one. Right, right. Well, here are we and continuing with the, the
1: favorites list. We've gone through the doctors. We've gone through the companions. Now let's uh, talk about some villains, the antagonists. What were some of your favorite Doctor Who
0: villains? I'm a big fan of the Cybermen. I like the I like the idea behind like well i don't like the idea but i i I like the idea in terms of like creating a villain behind uh wiping out the emotions and just keeping the pure um analytical you know thinking and 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 that master race uh it really harkens to like um i don't know if it was maybe period based or whatever but it really harkens to me like i think of like uh, you know the Nazi regime and things like that. Like, yeah. oh man, like this is like the worst thing ever. Right. Um, and to me, uh, like the the Cybermen are so scary because they they have no humanity and they have this uh, sort of assimilation agenda. Like, yeah, the you would you would almost think that the Borg was based off of them in in the Star yeah. Trek because they just I mean they're they're kind of terrifying and relentless.
1: Yeah, and and, and it's that whole. Like these emotionless metal men that just kind of come in the night and they'll take you away and turn them into one of them, and you know, yeah, and just being powerless to do anything about it, and just becoming this soulless being—it's something kind of terrifying. And and they're very much like kind of like in a way. There's kind of kind of like zombies in a way where one Cyberman isn't all that scary. But when you see hundreds of them, like you know, almost like like Justin was saying about the uh, the Nazis, they had that big, that like big high knee walk and, you, and, that, and that and that marching, that stomp. stomping, and it's like like hundreds of them would be terrified. So, but yeah, I, well, and for me, I would say I love the Cybermen too. I love the Cybermen. You have to give it up to the Daleks. The Daleks are always, you know, the. Uh, the end all be all the mass of the great Doctor Who villain. For me, the the one the, the one villain that I love is the master. I think that was such a great idea. Is if you're gonna have a guy who can match wits with the Doctor, of course he's going to be another Time Lord.
0: Well, and that like that run that they did with the Master made me like David Tennant, like yeah. as the Doctor. Yeah. Initially, I was a little like, eh, I, I like him. He he's doing a great job with the role. Uh, but when they pitted him against the Master, I was just, wow. The, yeah. this this is what he can do. Like he brings this to the table. And yeah. He he nailed that. Yeah,
1: and it, it was a uh, another fun fact too. When the uh, producers and writers for Doctor Who back in the seventies. They wanted, you know, essentially that whole idea of the Master's Moriarty to the Doctor's Sherlock Holmes, and essentially they gave him the name Master because it denotes an academic title. Just like you go, you get your PhD, you're a doctor, you can go get a Master's degree, so it's the Doctor and the Master. So and plus, just having a... Villain that I mean, pretty much, could be potentially as old, if not, I think maybe a little younger than the Doctor, but still have all the knowledge and the experience, and seeing from from the third season of the remake, can operate the TARDIS just as well. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. what he can do and what he can do. I mean, he is I mean then coming back with the End of Time, and the End of Time, with the two-parter with David Tennant's last. Here's because here's the thing with the Master he comes back in this third season kidnaps the TARDIS takes over the world and then not to spoil I don't,
0: you're not going to spoil yeah, it it's,
1: it's been years it's like he dies and and it's such a middle finger to the Doctor which is like I'm telling him to regenerate he's not going to regenerate as a, as a middle finger to him like no I'm not doing what you say and he dies couple Couple like a whole season, you know, they, they go by. He comes back to life and takes over the world again. <laughs> it's like he doesn't miss a doesn't miss a beat. You know, yeah, he's got that whole you know regen, like the resurrection thing didn't go quite right. Who cares? I'm taking
0: over the world again. But they did such a great job with uh, making it so that he was a big planner. Like he really analyzed things and planned and created these long-term goals that paid off you know in dividends later on and it was just really great to get that far into the story to see those things that, it, that were happening in the beginning sort of unfold yeah
1: yeah it was also it was also kind of a nice tip of the cap in a way because when you saw him in the fr- in, in, se- in season three he was that sharp dress like tailored suit you know and but as that season finale went on you see more five o'clock shadow. He's a little bit more haggard. As the madness starts to... Overtake him. And then he dies, but he comes back and he has that hood. And he's got that that kind of like that hooded sweatshirt
0: and on. He's got a hoodie on. A
1: hoodie on, essentially. And <laughs> that takes place if you're uh, people that watch the classic series. You have... Uh, when the first act, Robert Delgado's character in the 70s, he, he dies, but he kind of comes back to life as like this disfigured ugly just like fiendish kind of creature in this hood yeah it if you what if you watch the the keeper of trocken and some other episodes in the classic series so it was kind of a, i'm not sure if they did it on purpose but it was a nice to see like that hood come back as when the master returned and he wasn't quite right because you know the whole regeneration him feeding off a life force and all this but yeah that was good and I could go on and on. I'm
0: just saying. What what do you think they're going to do about uh, the doctor being on his last regeneration? How are they going to address it? Yeah, see, that's
1: that's another thing, though, too. I mean, I'm sure um, a lot of big hardcore Doctor Who fans realize that uh, 12 is all you get. So, in the classic series, at least, and that's why that's why the Master had so many problems in the classic series about getting you have 12 regenerations, and that's it. So. That's another question, though, too, maybe for uh, email, maybe for the hotline. Do you think they're just going to retcon that out of this of this new series altogether and say, well, he'll just regenerate forever? Or are, you, uh, or are they going to bring up this is his last regeneration, like after this? I guess you would say after Matt Smith. Well, and here's the thing is I don't
0: think this is, would be his last regeneration because of how it went down with uh, – in the last season, how it went down with uh, his – is, uh, crap! With <laughs> lost my train of thought. With uh, Karen Gilliam's uh, daughter, like Amy's daughter, right? Uh, it's almost with like he River, got a freebie.
1: Yeah, like River Song, because it's one of those things. Is Matt Smith the one that Rivers? Well, obviously they're married, but who's to say? And that's an interesting character. That's an interesting character. Interesting history with that too. So,
0: so I'm excited to see what they do with that. Because I feel like a lot of us who follow the Doctor Who are just like, what are they going to do about Regeneration? What are they going to do about Regeneration? And I feel like maybe they're at least giving them one more with that whole River Song sort of uh, thing they had going on. But, like, what are they going to do? Yeah, are they going to mention
1: it at all? Are they not going to even bring it up? I mean, who is to say?
0: I guess that's all up to Stephen
1: Moffat. Obviously. Yeah, now which I think I think Stephen Moffat is doing a pretty interesting job. My only critique with the Stephen Moffat regime or whatever you want to call it is it's a little dark. It's almost a little too dark. I mean, it's good, you know, because you have the last season you have the silence and they're stealing Amy's baby and all the, these you know the Weeping Angels are featured because Stephen Moffat. Created the Weeping Angels, so oh, and
0: they're yeah. terrifying. It's
1: just one of the better new villains in the from the remake. This is they they could be up there with the Daleks and the Cybermen and the Master and the Centaurans and I could be kind of adding his little niche to this the canon of Doctor Who. But it's a little just sometimes it's just too dark. Sometimes you just want the tourists to 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 land in some random place and just have like this
0: zany adventure, zany
1: adventure, essentially. You know, like have them, you know, over overcome some obstacle or fight some villain, and just it has to be just so dark all the time. Just come on, it can be it can be fun
0: too. Well, I think like, they try to. I try. They try and balance that darkness out though with like the the little bit of humor that they introduce. I mean, just the the doctor's character um, right. in this particular season. Matt Smith does a great job yeah. of portraying like. <laughs> This sort of humor. Uh, he has a great sense of humor about things. And that, I mean, and the, and the way he is very physically animated and, and the way he vocalizes his opinions about things are very similar to the way, in my opinion, the way Tom Baker would have addressed yeah. some things. Yeah, the way. The nice way, little, little throwback to him.
1: Yeah. You know, the way I kind of describe uh, Matt Smith, if you're comparing past and doctors, I think he has the eccentricity of a Tom Baker with the arrogance of a Colin Baker. Now, Colin Baker, he was the guy with the, with the multicolored... I call him the doctor in the amazing technique of dream coat. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that was kind of... But he was more... A little... Colin kind of did a little bit more of a pompous, a little bit more arrogant doctor. And I'm, oddly enough, he was the only guy to ever be fired from the role. And he had the less... Stint. He was only like two and a half years with him, as opposed to some other doctors. But... But yeah, I would say that kind of blend, like the the quirkiness of the Tom Baker with a little bit of the arrogance of the Colin Baker.
0: Oh, you know what else I wanted to to get in on this and I wanted uh, you had mentioned something about the lost episodes and yeah. uh, some how they recovered some of those. I thought maybe you could bring that up because I think that's a great story. Yeah, well,
1: that's well, I was watching uh, we we're getting some getting some uh, old classic Doctor Who DVDs through Netflix. And we're just burning through what they had there and watching it was one of the, it was one of the the Patrick Trouton episodes where like I mentioned earlier episodes one and four were all animated and here they needed with not only just film and footage being lost, but soundtracks being lost. And what they did is they put, I don't know if, if the BBC put out a message or something like you had older fans who, when they were kids, of course, back 70s, They didn't have, VCRs or DVRs or TiVos. so they would take tape recorders and record the episodes off the TV to listen to them later. Yeah,
0: just the audio. I yeah. think that,
1: that fascinates. Yeah. Me. yeah, just the just the audio. They recorded these shows, and here when the BBC they were talking about the lost footage and the lost episodes. These 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 older fans that would be now in you know their forties fifties. Would say, Well, I have these old tapes from these old episodes when I was a kid, and they actually sent them to the BBC and they actually were were able to digitally remaster them and sync them back up with whatever footage or whatever to actually save
0: those episodes from kids' tape recorders. And what I love about that is it's not just one person that did this, it was it was dozens of people yeah, at least. Yeah, many, many fans did this. Uh, but, yeah. And like I think that's just a pretty awesome phenomenon that the story was so so intriguing to them that they wanted to capture it in the only way that they could.
1: Yeah. That was was a little uh, special feature from one of the DVDs, but... Yeah, I think... Taking a quick break, taking a little... Going off on the the tangent, the other recurring segment of the Distro 1 is the T-shirt of the month. Oh, yeah. And this one, coming to us from bustedtees.com, is essentially entitled shark punch and i love find, the design and you can shirt. find you can find it on bustedtees.com searching under a shark punch it's essentially it's just a guy in a deep sea diver outfit uppercutting a great white
0: shark and it's, it's fantastic it looks like old Hanna barbera like sort of animation yeah and the deep sea diver suit is fantastic because it has these great contrasting colors. It's like blue and yellow. Yeah. The, the big copper and like The <laughs> copper, like the old school, like copper, like just crank Punch, helmet. Just punching out. We're going to, yeah, we're going to have links.
1: We're going to be showing the graphic. Big, uh, big shout out to Busted Tees. And you get another shirt. It's one of those big, uh, one of those nice uh, t-shirt places. Yeah. Definitely check out Shark Punch. Yeah, this is a
0: this is a great one. When I saw this, I was like, "This has to yeah, be." Yeah, uh, credit credit
1: credit to Justin for uh, finding this sweet pick for this uh this T-shirt for this for this for this episode.
0: Which, by the way, would be the first one that I'd found. because uh, well, Franz is the T-shirt man.
1: I try, but yeah, but it was a little team effort this time out.
0: But but, hit, but go ahead and hit us up on Twitter. Uh, maybe call the comment line. Let us know what you think of Shark Punch. Yeah,
1: let us know and uh, or uh, like it. I guess there's ways to like it and stuff on Facebook and we can retweet the image. So yeah, please, yeah, please do that. Uh, like I like I said, the good our our comment line is area code 412-204-7180. You can also find us on Twitter at Distro One, D-I-S-T-R-O number one. And also and also Facebook too. Distro1.podcast. So what is your uh,
0: there's a lot of uh, Doctor Who paraphernalia out there yes. in the world um, a lot of like other themed aspects of Doctor Who there is a uh, there's actually a bar in New York City that has a TARDIS in it that is the entryway to uh, to their bathroom nice. uh, so it is bigger on the inside yeah. when you go in uh, it goes it, it opens up into a bathroom and they had uh, they had an artist come in and do a bunch of murals and things on the wall uh, it's called the Waystation Bar, and they do uh, they do Doctor Who-themed events. Uh, they also do themed events like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and other things like that. But yeah, they do all of these uh, themed events there, and they have a real functional TARDIS. It's bigger on the what inside. What was
1: that then? Uh, they also offer specialty mix, mix, mixed drinks, right? Cocktails?
0: Yeah, they have one actually called the Sonic Screwdriver. There we
1: go. Let's hope that's uh, just a little modified... Uh... Vodka and orange juice. From, who knows? Who knows? Who
0: knows? Uh, there's probably like vodka, orange juice, and Red Bull. I would imagine, See, Yeah, something to give yeah. that Sonic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: but uh, and there's a there's Bay. So there's my dogs
0: rattling their way through. Yeah. Um, kind of like they've the, always got to like get like on that. the episode. It's like a recurring theme.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, they're always laying up r- lounging about as we're recording here. But yeah. So you yeah, definitely check out yeah the uh the Waystation Bar in it's Brooklyn, New York. Keeping up with a little, uh, yeah. So what else, did, uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about Before, the dog? Uh, well, actually, we'll, well, just see, uh, I don't know, other, other, other facts. I'm not sure people were aware back in the late 90s, the, the Daleks were on a postage stamp in the UK. Uh, I know that I think originally the show was supposed to be like a family-friendly educational video heads, like with the first yeah. season. They had the history teacher and the science teacher yep. that traveled in the TARDIS to kinda of like give lessons to the kids, but it kind of waned off that to a more of a science fiction bent. But yeah, and uh, it yeah, it like I said, it is listed in the Guinness World's World's World World's Record as the longest reigning sci fi
0: television show. I remember there was a oh, I wish I could remember the story. There was a great story about how they came up with the regeneration. Do you yeah, remember? Story? No, I know it was
1: just one of those things. I knew I knew they had to figure out a way. Because William Hartnell, the very first doctor from the from the mid, mid, early mid '60s, was leaving, and I just uh, think that's how the producers came up with that. I
0: oh, I caught it on. It was I believe that uh, this is where I had heard about the the lost episode. It was like a documentary, and they were talking about BBC, and it just happened to have a little segment about Doctor Who, and they you know they talked about the Tom Baker scarf and all that stuff. Um, but they were saying that at the time they had no idea how they were going to bring back the doctor because they had just you know killed him off. Yeah. And I believe there were some psychedelics involved in the uh, regeneration of the doctor. Okay. Uh, okay at least during the creation of that from I find oh I wish I could find that and and you that way you could quote me on it. yeah but uh, I will I'll try and get it in the show notes, uh, a link to where that was at because that was one of the. One of the most amusing things yeah. that I had seen uh, mm. about it. It was an interesting piece of Whovian
1: lore. yeah. And, and also, uh, maybe not as cool as that, but I know that during a time frame, like the the home of the Time Lords, the planet Gallifrey, was only mentioned, was first mentioned in the second Doctor's run. Oh, nice. You know, Patrick Trotland, it was the first time the planet Gallifrey was mentioned by name. It was into the second Doctor, Patrick Troutman's
0: run. The and the when they did the um, th- they did the end of time piece, right? And they introduced the the time lords that were locked in yeah. uh, they were time locked. Man, they were like and just an oppressive sort of feel about them. Yeah. Like, they were from what I gathered, like, they were terrible badasses. Yeah, they're, they're, they're
1: fairly ruthless, but you would think by that point, in a time war. War changed the man as the saying goes. So they just,
0: they didn't make any of them seem like good people though. Yeah. Like they just, they, it was almost yeah, like I, they just enjoyed going around and fiddling with time. Yeah. Um, and, which was interesting because the doctor seems to have not been, uh, not be that way. He's, no. he's more interested in preserving and protecting time.
1: Right. With a few exceptions here and there, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, he didn't seem, and plus, in the end of time, that two, I think Timothy Dalton played a really good it was kind of like as, like, Lord President or whatever, the official title of the time, the High Council of the Time Lords. He, he did a good job at that. But yeah.
0: I, uh, and the, the way they tied the drumming
1: together with everything like that. Yeah.
0: With, oh. with, the, with the, the
1: Master. Yeah, they, they, did, they did a good job tying stuff up together. It's just a shame that the Master is now locked in the Time War forever. And they're not going to,
0: who knows if he'll ever be seen again. Well, the nice thing, the- though, about that, him being locked in there, means that... Someone could probably unlock that. As yeah, if, if one of those crazy like Cult of
1: Scarrow guys could break through that barrier, I think somebody else could too. So he escaped He escaped once, he can do it again.
0: And we'll probably have another uh, Doctor Who themed episode or at least a, maybe a short uh, micro show uh, to talk about the new season once, uh, once it's had its legs on the ground for a little bit. Right. I'd hate to jump in too much to the new season right now. Right. Because a lot of people haven't even watched it yet. I mean, um, unless you're, unless you're a big fan and you you can't wait and you just you have BBC cable. Yeah. But most of us Netflixers don't watch it right away. No.
1: no <laughs>
0: but you have. So that's
1: that's what I had on my plate. For that the was Doctor it. Today. I, th- I think this is it. I think this is the uh, the Doctor Who episode. This is episode four. Uh, thanks, thanks for tuning in again. We are. Uh, Courtesy of Distri- random distribution studios. We're uh the Distro One Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, distro1.podcast, find us on Twitter, Distro One. Uh, call the help, call the Google Voice comment line 412-204-7180.
0: And you can hit us up on Tumblr, you can hit us up on Twitter. I mean, we're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, we're all over the Audio head. boo. Audio
1: boo. We're Audio boo FM slash distro one for the micro shows. We have three of those. Uh, Mostly uh, covering uh, film movie reviews. But, yeah. And I think... uh, And coming up as a... Coming soon, kind of the the next... Episode 5, the next full length, we're going to be talking about a video game near and dear to our hearts that kind of got us through college. Uh, We're talking about... It was known as Biohazard in Japan. But we're talking about the series... uh, Justin, what's that series called? Resident about resident evil talking about that video game series for the next full length so so please stay tuned for that all right guys we'll see you soon